And thank you to our children. So where are you today? Where are you this morning? Where are you right now? Now I know that you're here in this building and I can see you that you're sitting here, but I'm asking you, where are you right now? Because we can be physically in a place and mentally and emotionally a million miles away. Some can be thinking about what you had for breakfast. Some are thinking about, hopefully, what you're going to have for lunch. (laughs) Some are thinking about all the things you have to be doing and you should be doing, but you're here instead. And so some are thinking about an argument that you had just before you came. Um, Some's feeling depressed about something that happened and they can't let go of. And so we have a lot of people. Some people are struggling with health issues. Um, So I'm asking you this morning, uh, where are you today? And the point I'm wanting to get across is the importance of us being present to the presence of the Lord. Being present to the presence of the Lord. And that's what these verses that Philip was sharing with the children were talking about this morning from Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure and enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgressions. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So when he talks about words of our mouth and meditation of our heart, he's talking about being present to the Lord. And he begins by talking about the Word of God. And so he's got about um, six, seven different words, different Hebrew words for the the law of God. Um, Statutes, precepts, commands, fear of the Lord, ordinances, um, law. These are all different things about um, different parts, different aspects of God's commands given to uh, Moses on Mount Sinai. And so he's telling us about these things, how precious and important they are. And he's talking about being present to that. Oftentimes, even as Christians, we read the scriptures um, when we read them, but it's our mind is somewhere else, you know. Um, Some who have disciplined lives have a regular time when they set aside just to pray and and read the scripture. But that doesn't mean that we're always present, even during those times. Minds wander, thoughts come in, um, 
remembrances of things, all these different things come in and vie for our attention, our mental energy, our mental presence. And so just being physically in a, in a location does not mean that we are present in any way except physically. Um, and so the psalmist is saying, the word of God needs our attention. Um, what a person has to say oftentimes is important. Sometimes it's not important at all. But oftentimes what people say is extremely important and words have value and meaning. So much so that oftentimes when people turn in on your job, when your boss tells you to do something, you're going to pay attention to what he or she tells you to do. Otherwise you won't have a job. If you're in the military, then you better do what they tell you to do or you're in serious trouble. And it goes on and on. And yet, oftentimes the way that we read the Word of God, if and when we read it, is because we're looking for something but our mind is something somewhere far away. And it's when we're present to the presence of the Lord that the Word becomes alive and has meaning and value. Uh, Sometimes people say, well, I tried to read it and it's boring. Well, it's boring because of the way you read it. What you bring to it is going to determine to a degree what you're going to get out of it. So if a person that you loved wrote you a letter and you hadn't seen them in a while and you weren't sure that they really loved you or not at the beginning of the relationship and you got a letter from that person, how would you read it? You wouldn't just kind of read through it very quickly and toss it in the trash if the person really was important to you. And you My mom and dad were married over well, well over 50 years before they passed away. And um, he was in World War II. He was in the South Pacific for a year and a half. And they wrote to each other. My mom wrote him three times a day. And they kept those letters. They were important. They were valuable. They had meaning. They kept every one that they had written to each other. She kept his. He kept hers. Um, and so it, it speaks about the relationship. So I'm saying when we approach God's word or when God's word confronts us, then it should have meaning and value and significance to us. Thomas Merton says that the most dangerous thing we will ever do in our life, the most dangerous thing we will ever do in our life is to open God's word and take its message seriously because we can't be the same. We change when we take God's word to heart. So he's talking about several issues here in these passages, uh, Psalm 19, 7 through 14. He's talking about taking God's word to heart. And as soon as he talks about that, he talks about taking, um, by keeping God's word, your servant is warned, and keeping of them is of great reward, great value. And then he begins to speak about what happens when we do that. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. 
And we all have them, don't we? We all have them, hidden faults. Things that are taking place in our lives that many times we are not aware of ourselves. But as we come to the Word of God and as we speak to it, the Holy Spirit will open our eyes of our hearts if we're willing to to hear what He has to say. He does that not to condemn or to accuse or to make us feel guilty. He brings it to our attention so that it can be dealt with, cleansed and forgiven and so that we can be better people. He does it for our benefit. So those are the hidden faults. But those aren't the ones that really trouble us too much, are they? Uh, Some of them do. Some of the hidden faults can be um, very critical things, and we just refuse to see them. The more critical ones, though, is what he deals with in verse 13. Keep your servant from willful sins, that they may not rule over me. Willful sins are things that we know are wrong, and we do it anyway because we want to. (laughs) Or we feel compelled to if it's a habit. And habits, those kind of things, is more than it, it's our actions, but it's like Philip was saying, it's more than just actions. It's more than words. It's what's going on in the mind and in the heart that motivates and produces those words and actions. And those are the things uh, that express who we are and where we live. So he says, if I'm forgiven my hidden faults, And if God is breaking the hold of my habits, uh, thought habits, emotional habits, uh, physical habits, if he's breaking the control that those sins have over me, he says, then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgressions. Transgression is a word that means to cross over. There's a standard that's set. We all know it. It's in our heart. Um, We know right from wrong. We know where the guidelines are. Transgression is, I see the guideline and I'm stepping right over it. Deliberately, willfully, intentionally. Willful sins. And he says, if God is dealing within my heart, if I'm taking his word seriously and allowing it to cleanse and purge, to guide and direct, I will learn, I will obtain not only information, but relationship. And the relationship is the goal. That's the rightness that Philip was talking about, being in right standing with God. And we can come to his presence without fear because he's cleansed our heart. Paul says that the washing of the water of the word is what cleanses our spirit, our minds, our thoughts. So David ties these two together. In verse 14. And this is what we want to focus on this morning. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 139, first three verses, talks about this very thing. Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I stand, when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. 
You are familiar with all my ways. Verse 4, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. Oh, Lord. So God is watching over our thoughts. He learns our hearts. He knows what's taking place within us, the things that we're thinking about as well. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is talking, and he's talking about uh, fruits and trees. In chapter 12, starting with verse 33, he says, Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, he's confronting the Pharisees who are challenging him. How can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. So it's pretty serious things. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if there's vulgarity coming out of the, out of the mouth, it's because that's what's in the heart. That's what's in the mind. If there's uh, cursing coming out of the mouth, it's because there's cursing in the heart and in the mind. That's what he's thinking about. That's what the person is doing. That's what is motivating them at that particular time. Angry words, there's anger in the heart. Bitter, uh, jealous, joyful, righteous, holy, praise, and prayer. All coming out of the mouth, all indicating to a degree what's going on inside. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's why David is praying, words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, be pleasing in your sight. The words are just the indication of what's going on in the heart. In Proverbs 23, it's talking about a stingy man. And Proverbs 23 is talking about a man... Uh, who is like a miser. A miser is somebody who is, is hoarding and, and covetous and hanging on and pinching every penny and even denying himself. There are people that will sit down and they will eat nothing but oatmeal. Not because of their health requires it, because they don't want to spend the money. And they're fabulously rich. They've got tons of money. Very, very wealthy. But they don't want to spend it. So they eat a little bit of oatmeal to keep themselves going. That's the kind of person he's talking about, Proverbs 23. And this is what he says. He's saying, uh, starting with verse 6, Do not eat the food of a stingy man. Do not crave his delicacies. For he is the kind of man who is always thinking about the cost. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. And so what he says, uh, literally what it says, 
is as he thinks within himself, so is he. So he's invited you to come and eat, but he's counting the cost of everything that you put in your mouth and everything you drink. He's calculating the thought, the cost in his heart and his, in his mind. And he's regretting that you're taking that from him. Because that is what is in his heart. At the end of the Bible, in Revelation chapter 22, last chapter in the book, he's talking about when we finally stand before the Lord and everything is end, ended. He makes a statement in verse 11. Let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. Let him who is holy continue to be holy. So there's some parallelisms here that take place in this verse. Notice he says, Let the person who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. The wrongness is produced by the vileness. It's what you do is a result of who you are. Let him who does right continue to do right. Let him who is holy continue to be holy. The holy person does right things. And so the focus here is not on the doing. It's on the being. The vileness is produced because the person is vile. The holiness is produced because the person is holy. And the whole point being what comes out of the mouth, what comes out of the life is an indication of what's going on inside. It lets people know what our values are. It lets people know what's important to us, how we're living our life. And it's very evident for everyone to see. So what a person is is a result of what we're thinking about and praying about and meditating on. It's the things that uh, motivate us and control the direction and the purpose of our lives. So out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. With that in mind, the Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10... talks about the spiritual warfare that's taking place. And he says in verse 3, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to God, to Christ. And so Paul says, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. This is the prayer that David is praying, isn't it? The words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, the things that I'm thinking about, the things that motivate me, may they be acceptable, pleasing in the sight of God. 
Paul says it's a war. Uh, that doesn't come easily for us, especially at first. Um, we need to develop um, good habits to replace the old ones that are being cleansed from our hearts and lives through the, the blood of Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And as that continues in our life day by day, then that means that there should be a change in our thinking, not because we are wrestling and making it happen, but because that's what God does within a person's heart. When we accept Him as our Savior, He changes the desires of our heart, and then He is graciously giving us the desires of our heart because He's making us more like Him in our thinking, in our meditation, in our living. So what does it mean to meditate upon the upon the Lord. It means to think about Him. As we coming and confronting with God's Word, and we are allowing it to take place in our hearts and in our minds, filling ourselves with the good things. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The evil man brings evil out of the evil that's stored up within him. The righteous man brings the righteous things out of the good stored up in him. He's talking about putting the good things in our hearts and lives so that those things can influence and shape our thinking. And so he's talking about the law of the Lord, which is perfect. It revives, gives life to the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. We can count upon them. They are right, giving joy to the heart. It's not a a thing going around always feeling our spiritual pulse. The thing is, if the Word of God lives within us, then the presence of Christ dwells within us. And there's joy, and there's peace, and there's hope, and there's a future. And so he says, as this goes on, David is saying, this is ongoing, continuing process of being cleansed and being purged. And so he's asking God to help him. May the words of my mouth... And the meditation of my heart. Paul gives us some good examples of this in the book of Philippians, chapter 4. Very positive book. Um, And a tremendous uh, upbeat book that comes out of intense suffering, physically, mentally, emotionally, that took place at Philippi. Uh, That church was born out of blood and sacrifice. It was not an easy thing for the gospel to come into that place. And yet, it's the most joyful, the most life-producing letter that Paul wrote. And so he says in Philippians chapter 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, because the purpose of the meditation is to be present to the presence of the Lord who is with us. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. He's near because He's in you. Do not be anxious about anything. Why? Because the Lord is near. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, 
Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. What kind of things do you think about as you go through your everyday? I'm talking about not Sunday. I'm talking about Monday or Thursday. As you're going through your job, as you're going through your home, as you're dealing with uh, outside people, what thoughts preoccupy your mind most often? Be honest. Oh man, I got to go to work again. I don't, you know, uh, you know. Well, you know, I remember what that person said. I see that person. I remember what they said about me a few years ago, and uh, it wasn't true. They lied, and I become bitter. What kind of thoughts are going through our minds as we go through the day? And how much money can I make if I do this? Uh, you know, the, um, the porn industry is a huge money-making project in this world today. What are you thinking as you go through the day? What are you putting in your mind? What are we dwelling on? That's what meditation is. The things that we think about, meditate, dwell upon... Those are the things that are important to us. Whether raking over like a dog, worrying an old bone, past hurts or failures or griefs or whatever they are, uh, then it influences how we live and who we are. And that will come out of our mouth. People around you are aware of it. Sometimes these are the hidden things that we are unaware that we're talking this way. And, but the people around us know. They know if we're bitter, if we're fearful, if we're grief-stricken, if we're joyful, if we're having a great day, they know that because what's in here comes out here and here in our hands. And it's an open testimony. And so David, he's doing it right, isn't he? Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be pleasing, acceptable to God. And he's asking God to help him. To God help him in his thoughts. Paul says, we can do this. We can bring every thought captive to the Lord. We have habits of thinking. Um, you know, a person, if, he's a, if a person is a greedy person, then as soon as he's in a situation where the money is, he automatically clicks into that. He doesn't stop and think about it. It's not intentional. That's his habit from the time he was small till the time he's now. That's where he goes. And those things rule or control the person. That's why Paul is praying, let not those sins rule over me. That's why David says the same prayer. Don't let these sins rule over me. And so those ways of thinking and responding are habitual things. We don't even think about them. But they control us. And so... He's praying. Got to break those things, put the positive things in its place, and God, working His Word in our hearts, will change us. He'll lift those burdens. He will calm those fears. He will redirect that emotional and spiritual energy in a way that's pleasing to Him and more healthy for us and greater in our relationships with one another.
People will know. When that happens, when that happens in us, God will create opportunities to witness because people will notice, they will notice so much they will ask you about it. You seem different. Why? It's not me. It's the Lord. He's doing his work in me. It's a good prayer that David prays. And Paul helps us. Um, The Lord is near. This is why we can rejoice. Now notice he didn't say that things were going well. That there was peace in the world. That the economy was good. Everybody had good paying jobs which they enjoyed doing. Home life was good. Relationships were well. He didn't say any of those things. He said, in spite of all of those things, you rejoice. Why? The Lord is near. And so David says, since the Lord is near, and He's with me, everywhere I am, whatever I'm doing, um, whoever I'm with, He never leaves us nor forsakes us. The Lord is near. Paul tells us. So, David says, Lord, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of my heart, the things that I'm thinking about, the the thoughts that fill my mind, the things that motivate me, may these be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. He's the security. He's the strength. And he's the one who forgives us. That's what Redeemer is when we fail. So if we don't do it right, we don't have to beat ourselves up over it, do we? We don't have to quit because we got it wrong once. Say, Lord, you are my Redeemer. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Fill my heart with your presence. Help me to be present to your presence. So it's a word of hope. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would draw close to us and help us, Lord, to be present to your presence in our hearts and lives, to begin with your word, hide it in our hearts, to let it control and help direct our thoughts and our emotions as we go through the day. So, Lord, we pray that you would keep your strong hand upon us, cleansing us and purging us, drawing us close into that relationship that brings peace, that awareness of your presence that brings hope, that understanding that you're watching over us and walking with us to pick us up when we fall, to cleanse us and purge us when we we find ourselves being corrupted by those around, things around us or the things from within our own hearts. That you provide the cleansing and the forgiveness that's there. Draw us close, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.